Welcome, sons and daughters of God. We are glad that we can come to you through this virtual worship service, and we pray that as we spend our time together, we might know God's presence, not only as we worship, but in our lives. Thank you for being uh, with us today, and thank you for letting us join you where you are today. It's always hard for us to balance faith with the rest of our life. That includes our politics, too, and our economy. And maybe we're feeling that now more than ever. Jesus was quizzed about this in today's Gospel reading. And his answer is not an easy answer, but I think we'll discover that what he said was true and life-giving. So now we invite you to take a moment to prepare yourself for worship, maybe light a candle, say a prayer and ask God's Spirit to be with you as you begin to worship together with us. Lutheran tradition teaches that in the sacrament of holy baptism we are brought into the family of God and when we remember our baptism we remember that we are indeed God's daughters and sons. So we begin together. Blessed be the Holy Trinity, one God who creates, redeems, and sustains us and all of creation. Amen. Amen. Sons and daughters of God, let us render to God that which is due. Let us give God glory and honor. Sons and daughters of God, let us give God thanks and praise. Let us give God our faith and hope, now and forever. 
living God, you have given us in Scripture guidelines for weighing our many allegiances. Give us now the wisdom to choose well, that beset by conflicting claims, we may know how best to serve you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Merciful God, we admit with great shame how in the midst of conflicting claims and commitments, we often lose sight of our responsibilities to you, your Christ, and your coming reign. We let the demands of family, friendship, business, and even country take precedence over our duties on your behalf and wind up being, at best, half-hearted Christians and part-time disciples. Forgive us, we pray, and assist us in reordering our priorities so that our ministry in Jesus' name will come first and permeate everything else that we do. In that name we pray, amen. God hears the cries of all who call out in need. And through his death and resurrection, Christ has made us his own. Hear the truth that God proclaims. Your sins are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. Led by the Holy Spirit, live in freedom and newness to do God's work in the world. Amen. Amen. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. For our carry today, I'd like to teach just uh, a new 
uh, musical response. It goes like this. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. When we are tempted to add our noise to the shouting of opinions and doctrines. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. When we face the crashing of guns, the threats of militia, and the loud justifications of violence, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. When we are overwhelmed by the wails of those who grieve and suffer through this pandemic, and by the music of those who deny the world's pain. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. When we are lured by the song of materialism, and lulled by the lullaby of the immediate and the expedient. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. In all the places where your love and justice are unheard, where the song of your grace is silenced, and where the noise of sin robs people of life. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. Let us pray together. Sovereign God, raise your throne in our hearts. Created by you, let us live in your image. Created for you, let us act for your glory. Redeemed by you, let us give you what is yours. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. The first reading is from the first book of Thessalonians. Most likely, this letter is first written by Paul. Paul gives pastoral encouragement and reassurances to the new Christians living in an antagonistic environment. Their commitment of faith, love, and hope makes them a model for other new Christian communities. A reading from 1 Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. 
We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of persecution, you receive the word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, <clears throat> but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. The Gospel according to Matthew. Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples, along with the supporters of Herod, to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them and they went away. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor, I was really upset about last Sunday's sermon. You were preaching politics, and you've got no business doing that. I also heard that you went to that recent protest downtown. Haven't you ever heard of separation of church and state? Some of us are frustrated 
that our church won't take a stand. Aren't we named after a protester, Martin Luther? And don't we pay really high regard to people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who took a really political stand? I don't want my church to tell me how to vote. But I would like some guidance into how we might prayerfully cast our ballot. I expect that those actual quotes represent a lot of the feelings and sentiments of a lot of people in churches these days, even this one. So here we are, on the eve of a momentous presidential election, the confirmation hearings for a Supreme Court justice, in the middle of a pandemic and economic recession, and with a Pew Research study that says that only 17% of our citizens believe they could trust the government to do anything right. And Jesus is preaching politics. Well, not exactly politics as we understand it. And besides, he didn't start it. So maybe we ought to look at the context and the background to see if we can understand what's going on. The Pharisees and the Herodians are looking to trap Jesus. They want to know whether it's right or not to pay taxes to Caesar. Now, this is not how we would understand the tax. This is not like a, a payroll tax deduction kind of thing. This was the imperial tax that was required by everyone to pay as a tribute to Caesar. And it also supported Roman occupation. Which means that everyone had to pay a tax to support their own occupation and oppression. Now, Everyone was not against this kind of tax. The Herodians, obviously part of Herod's gang, were put in place by the Romans to maintain order, and they required the tax, and they paid the tax with a Roman coin, a denarius. And I happen to have one here. Art Davis brought this to share with our men's breakfast, Bible and biscuit breakfast this morning. It's just a, a rugged little piece of iron or copper perhaps stamped with the Roman insignia. Now, the Herodians wanted this denarius to be paid so that it would help to keep them in power. And so they supported the tax, obviously. But for those who found the tax oppressive, they would have thought that this denarius represented their, uh, a constant reminder of how humiliated they felt under Roman occupation. And to devout Jews, like the Pharisees, this denarius and this tax represented the fact that they would have to break the first two commandments. Because a, a, a coin that was stamped with the image of Caesar and with the inscription that read Tiberius Caesar, son of divine Augustus, meant that they would break the commandments of you shall have no other gods. Caesar was not divine. And you shall make no graven image. And what's also important to note is that these groups really didn't get along. They had no love 
for each other at all. They, they disagreed on all kinds of other issues. But in today's episode, it's almost like having Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi teamed up against Jesus. Together, they were trying to get rid of this troublemaking rabbi who had stirred everybody up ever since he had gotten to Jerusalem. The question that they would use would be a way to trap Jesus and get him in trouble based on how he would answer the question. If he was for the tax, there's no way he could be considered a devout Jew. If he was against the tax, then he would be a traitor. It seems like it's a lose-lose situation. So, Jesus, we know how sincere you are. You're a man of integrity. You don't pander to public opinion. And, and we know you truthfully teach the ways of God. So tell us, what do you think? Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? There was no way Jesus was going to fall for their scam. And he, knew, knew, he not only humiliated them, he also pointed out how hypocritical they were for asking the question in the first place. He said, give me a coin. Whose picture's on that coin? Whose name is there? Well, it's Caesar's, of course. Exactly, he said. Meaning that they were already involved with Caesar whether they liked it or not. Simply by carrying this coin around in their pockets and in the temple, no less, they showed their complicity with Caesar. Then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, he said. And I can hear a pause in his voice. That would certainly make those folks who were in favor of the tax happy. And all of those folks who thought Jesus was a man of God, well, they, they would leave him in a heartbeat. But in the next breath, he said, but give what belongs to God to God. Certainly, Jesus' response was not what they wanted. They challenged him, but he ended up giving them the greater challenge. He was telling them that basically they were asking the wrong question. The real question, Jesus seems to say, is not, what makes a person a patriot? Somebody who pays taxes or somebody who doesn't? Jesus was insisting that the connections between faith and life, faith and politics can't be reduced to bumper stickers or slogans. And you can't separate them, politics on one side and faith on the other. No, they are interconnected. When Jesus used a coin to make his point. He was saying, you already know what Rome you. You're already paying their tribute. But when he said, give to God what belongs to God, he forces a question. The real question. What belongs to God. Jesus poses this huge question, but he doesn't give a simple answer. To people of faith, everything belongs to God. And the turning point in Jesus' teaching is when he 
talks about the image on the coin. The coin has the image of the emperor, and the Greek word used for image is icon. And that Greek word has the same meaning as another word we find in the Bible. It's written in Genesis chapter 1, which reads, Let us make humans in our image. We are made in the image of God. We are the icon of God. The imago dei, to use the Latin. In other words, the entire creation, including every beautiful and broken and fallen and restored and talented and confused and puffed up and riled up and political and non-political and religious and non-religious, left, right, and center of us, belongs to God. And Jesus, Jesus is urging us to live like it. Now, we know that there are parts of our lives that we have already rendered to Caesar. We do have to pay our taxes grudgingly, perhaps. We do have other obligations and responsibilities as citizens that, that require our energy and attention. But we also willingly give of ourselves. We spend our time, our energy, and our money to a lot of other things that claim our loyalties, the other Caesars of the world, and that includes politics. And certainly, being a follower of Christ does not make all these things any easier. Living a life of faith in the world is hard and, and subtle. But regardless of which candidates or issues that we support, we have to acknowledge that they all demand our loyalty. They demand some part of us. And I think we will all agree the truth that elections have become very much about us. Because we support those who will give us what we think we want and need. So, where does that leave us right now? With everything that's going on. When we step into that voting booth, or when we mark that absentee ballot, what in our faith can help to guide our choices? Jesus says, remember who you are. You are a son. You are a daughter who belongs to God. You are the imago Dei. We have been marked as children of God since the very beginning of creation. And Jesus wants us to see that identity, our true identity, is what really shapes and guides 
the rest of our living and all the things that we have to deal with. While we might feel strongly about our political choices and our political loyalties, before we are Democrat, Republican, or Independent, we are children of God. We are followers of Christ. And if we forget in whose image we have been made, then we're likely to fall into the temptation of believing that our worth is no greater than who we vote for. That our value is nothing more than our bank balance or what we can buy or where we can work and live. But if we remember that we bear the image of God, then we can repent of all the ways in which we allow ourselves to live by that kind of thinking. And we can be forgiven and restored and renewed to redirect our energies and become full participants in the process of helping to shape the world in God's image. The God who is generous, forgiving, loving, Gracious, a God who humbly and willingly gave up being all-powerful to be like us, who died and rose to demonstrate just how deeply loved we are. Remembering that we are made in the image of that God. We can work to help God's kingdom come on earth as we so often pray. Being an image bearer means that whatever I render to the Caesars of this world, be it social or economic or political, it has to take second place to what I give to God. Jesus doesn't expect us to have the answer to every question, but he does expect us to live by what he says shapes all of life. To love God by loving neighbor. And maybe that's what makes Jesus' teaching so, so powerful and so pointed, particularly at this time. That being the imago dei, by loving God through loving my neighbor, means that I offer to them, to all of them, the same generosity and grace that has been given to me. That my choices are based on my asking the question, is my neighbor being served? So that God's image can be seen in me. And through me. Wow. That's a lot to take in. It's a lot to think about, especially, especially these days. So perhaps this can be summed up best in the words of a simple prayer that came to me on Tuesday through a daily prayer app on my phone. 
the prayer said. Oh God, we believe we will see your goodness in our land because we know you are at work in our lives. Here's repeating. Oh God, we believe we will see your goodness in our land because we know you are at work in our lives. Amen. May it be so. In Jesus' name. of Christ be with you always. And also with you. May the peace of Christ be with you. The peace, peace of Christ, Christ be, be with, with you. you.
confidence in God's grace and mercy, let us pray for the church, the world, and all those in need, responding to each petition with the words, in mercy, receive our prayers. We pray for the church around the world that church leaders be supported in their ministries, that national and local churches receive the necessary funding to accomplish their tasks, and that hearing you call us by name, we join with all the baptized to give you praise, even in this time of great trouble. You are great, O God, our Redeemer. In mercy, receive our prayers. We pray for the nations of the world that violence between and within nations cease, that ELCA World Hunger, the World Food Program of the United Nations, and other relief agencies will be enabled to feed those who face starvation, that elections in the world's democracies will be conducted fairly, <clears throat> and that the people of our country shun acts of hostility and sedition. You are great, O God, our sovereign. In mercy, receive our prayer. We pray for a right use of taxation, that laws concerning taxes reflect justice for all, that tax monies be directed to worthy uses, and that citizens honestly pay what is fairly charged so that our nation may be maintained. You are great, O oh God, our judge. In mercy, receive our prayers. On this day, commemorating St. Luke, we pray for all ministries of healing, that hospitals and clinics receive adequate resources, that medical care be improved in the neighborhoods of poverty, in prisons, and in refugee camps, that physicians and nurses be upheld, and that kindly hospice care 
be available to the dying. You are great, O God, our healer. In mercy receive our prayers. We pray for all in need, for all who suffer from the coronavirus, for all who are living with high anxiety, for all those who are unemployed, for those evicted from their housing, for all who have experienced prejudice based on skin color, ethnicity, or economic status, for those we name here before you. Susan Bayman, Jesse Brock, Sam Green, Alberta Holden, Mike and Pat Redden, Mary Lou Schofield, Steve Sherrill, Roger Strong, Matt Serac, Ron Wagner, and those in our hearts and on our lips. You are great, O God, our comforter. In mercy, receive our prayers. We pray finally for ourselves that you give us steadfastness in faith and in love and that you hear the petitions of our hearts. You are great, O God, our friend. In mercy, receive our prayers. Hear us when we call upon you, O God, and enfold in your loving arms all for whom we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and Lord. Amen. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our, Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. Again, we welcome you to this time of worship and we pray that as we've spent this time together, it may be meaningful for our life and carry us through these next days together with God's blessing. Since we have touched on the idea of faith and life and politics and government today in our reading and sermon, uh, I want to let you know that there will be a Sunday school class offered on this topic based on the ELCA's social message about discipleship in democracy. And so there's information that will be coming out about how you can obtain a copy of the statement and then uh, join into the class. And I think this will be a very meaningful thing for us to do in these coming days. Also, a reminder that we are looking forward to starting indoor, in-person worship uh, the first Sunday of November. Um, we'll have two services at 845 and 1045, uh, we are limiting seating to 25 guests, and uh, we will do that through reservations that you may do online. There'll be more information coming out about this very soon, uh, so be aware uh, of when we start that worship together. Now please hear this assurance of grace. God has always loved you. God loves you now. And God will love you forever. This is the good news that gives us new life. The good news that empowers us to live our life in this world, knowing that we are God's children and that God does indeed go with us. So we do go forward together, trusting that God will continue to bless us and keep us, that God's face will shine on us with grace and mercy God will look upon us with favor and will give us peace. Amen. Amen.